Chapter Fifty One of the Portrait of a Lady by Henry James. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Countess was not banished, but she felt the insecurity of her tenure of her brother's hospitality. A week after this incident, Isabel received a telegram from England, dated from Gardencourt, and bearing the stamp of Mrs. Touchett's authorship. Ralph cannot last many days, it ran and if convenient would like to see you wishes me to say that you must come only if you've not other duties say for myself that you used to talk a good deal about your duty and to wonder what it was shall be curious to see whether you've found it out ralph is really dying and there's no other company isabel was prepared for this news having received from henrietta stackpole a detailed account of her journey to england with her appreciative patient ralph had arrived more dead than alive but she had managed to convey him to gardencourt where he had taken to his bed which as miss stackpole wrote he evidently would never leave again she added that she had really had two patients on her hands instead of one inasmuch as mr goodwood who had been of no earthly use was quite as ailing in a different way as mr touchett afterwards she wrote that she had been obliged to surrender the field to mrs touchett who had just returned from America, and had promptly given her to understand that she didn't wish any interviewing at Garden Court. Isabel had written to her aunt shortly after Ralph came to Rome, letting her know of his critical condition, and suggesting that she should lose no time in returning to Europe. Mrs. Touchett had telegraphed an acknowledgment of this admonition, and the only further news Isabel received from her was the second telegram I have just quoted. Isabel stood a moment looking at the latter missive. Then, thrusting it into her pocket, she went straight to the door of her husband's study. Here she again paused an instant, after which she opened the door and went in. Osmond was seated at the table near the window with a folio volume before him, propped against a pile of books. This volume was open at a page of small coloured plates, and Isabel presently saw that he had been copying from it the drawing of an antique coin. A box of watercolours and fine brushes lay before him and he had already transferred to a sheet of immaculate paper the delicate, finely-tinted disc. His back was turned toward the door, but he recognized his wife without looking round. "'Excuse me for disturbing you,' she said. "'When I come to your room I always knock,' he answered, going on with his work. "'I forgot. I had something else to think of. My cousin's dying.' "'Ah, I don't believe that.' said Osmond, looking at his drawing through a magnifying glass. He was dying when we married. He'll outlive us all. Isabel gave herself no time, no thought, to appreciate the careful cynicism of this declaration. She simply went on quickly, full of her own intention. My aunt has telegraphed for me. I must go to Gardencourt. Why must you go to Gardencourt? Osmond asked, in the tone of impartial curiosity to see Ralph before he dies. To this for some time he made no rejoinder. He continued to give his chief attention to his work, which was of a sort that would brook no negligence. "'I don't see the need of it,' he said at last. "'He came to see you here. I didn't like that. I thought his being in Rome a great mistake. But I tolerated it because it was to be the last time you should see him. Now you tell me it's not to have been the last.' Ha! Huh, you're not grateful. What am I to be grateful for? 
Gilbert Osmond laid down his little implements, blew a speck of dust from his drawing, slowly got up, and for the first time looked at his wife. "'For my not having interfered while he was here.' "'Oh, yes, I am. I remember perfectly how distinctly you let me know you didn't like it. I was very glad when he went away.' "'Leave him alone, then. Don't run after him.' Isabel turned her eyes away from him. They rested upon his little drawing. "'I must go to England,' she said, with a full consciousness that her tone might strike an irritable man of taste as stupidly obstinate. "'I shall not like it if you do,' Osmond remarked. "'Why should I mind that? You won't like it if I don't. You like nothing I do or don't do. You pretend to think I lie.' Osmond turned slightly pale. He gave a cold smile. "'That's why you must go, then.' not to see your cousin, but to take a revenge on me. I know nothing about revenge. I do, said Osmond. Don't give me an occasion. You're only too eager to take one. You wish immensely that I would commit some folly. I should be gratified in that case if you disobeyed me. If I disobeyed you, said Isabel, in a low tone which had the effect of mildness. Let it be clear, if you leave Rome to-day, it'll be a piece of the most deliberate, the most calculated opposition. How can you call it calculated? I received my aunt's telegram but three minutes ago. You calculate rapidly. It's a great accomplishment. I don't see why we should prolong our discussion. You know my wish. And he stood there, as if he expected to see her withdraw. But she never moved. She couldn't move, strange as it may seem. She still wished to justify herself. He had the power, in an extraordinary degree, of making her feel this need. There was something in her imagination he could always appeal to against her judgment. "'You've no reason for such a wish,' said Isabel. "'And I've every reason for going. I can't tell you how unjust you seem to me. But I think you know. It's your own opposition that's calculated. It's malignant.' She had never uttered her worst thought to her husband before, and the sensation of hearing it was evidently new to Osmond. But he showed no surprise, and his coolness was apparently a proof that he had believed his wife would in fact be unable to resist for ever his ingenious endeavour to draw her out. "'It's all the more intense, then,' he answered. And he added almost as if he were giving her a friendly counsel. "'This is a very important matter.' She recognised that, she was fully conscious of the weight of the occasion. She knew that between them they had arrived at a crisis. Its gravity made her careful. She said nothing, and he went on. "'You say I've no reason. I have the very best. I dislike from the bottom of my soul what you intend to do. It's dishonourable. It's indelicate. It's indecent. Your cousin is nothing whatever to me, and I'm under no obligation to make concessions to him. I've already made the very handsomest. Your relations with him while he was here kept me on pins and needles. But I let that pass, because from week to week I expected him to go. I've never liked him, and he has never liked me. That's why you like him, because he hates me," said Osmond, with a quick, barely audible tremor in his voice. I've an ideal of what my wife should do and should not do. She should not travel across Europe alone, in defiance of my deepest desire, to sit at the bedside of other men. Your cousin's nothing to you. He's nothing to us. 
you smile most expressively when i talk about us but i assure you that we we mrs osmond is all i know i take our marriage seriously you appear to have found a way of not doing so i'm not aware that we're divorced or separated for me we're indissolubly united you are nearer to me than any human creature and i'm nearer to you it may be a disagreeable proximity it's one at any rate of our own deliberate making you don't like to be reminded of that i know but i'm perfectly willing because because and he paused a moment looking as if he had something to say which would be very much to the point because i think we should accept the consequences of our actions and what i value most in life is the honour of a thing he spoke gravely and almost gently the accent of sarcasm had dropped out of his tone it had a gravity which checked his wife's quick emotion the resolution with which she had entered the room found itself caught in a mesh of fine threads his last words were not a command they constituted a kind of appeal and though she felt that any expression of respect on his part could only be a refinement of egotism they represented something transcendent and absolute like the sign of the cross or the flag of one's country he spoke in the name of something sacred and precious the observance of a magnificent form they were as perfectly apart in feeling as two disillusioned lovers had ever been but they had never yet separated in act isabel had not changed her old passion for justice still abode within her and now in the very thick of her sense of her husband's blasphemous sophistry it began to throb to a tune which for a moment promised him the victory it came over her that in his wish to preserve appearances he was after all sincere and that this as far as it went was a merit ten minutes before she had felt all the joy of irreflective action a joy to which she had so long been a stranger but action had been suddenly changed to slow renunciation transformed by the blight of osmond's touch if she must renounce however she would let him know that she was a victim rather than a dupe i know you are a master of the art of mockery she said how can you speak of an indissoluble union how can you speak of your being contented where's our union when you accuse me of falsity where's your contentment when you have nothing but hideous suspicion in your heart it is in our living decently together in spite of such drawbacks we don't live decently together cried isabel indeed we don't if you go to england that's very little that's nothing i might do much more he raised his eyebrows and even his shoulders a little he had lived long enough in italy to catch this trick huh, if you've come to threaten me i prefer my drawing and he walked back to his table where he took up the sheet of paper on which he had been working and stood studying it i suppose that if i go you'll not expect me to come back said isabel he turned quickly round and she could see this movement at least was not designed he looked at her a little and then are you out of your mind he inquired how can it be anything but a rupture she went on especially if all you say is true she was unable to see how it could be anything but a rupture she sincerely wished to know what else it might be he sat down before his table i really can't argue with you on the hypothesis of your defying me he said and he took up one of his little brushes again she lingered but a moment longer 
long enough to embrace with her eye his whole deliberately indifferent yet most expressive figure, after which she quickly left the room. Her faculties, her energy, her passion were all dispersed again. She felt as if a cold, dark mist had suddenly encompassed her. Osmond possessed in a supreme degree the art of eliciting any weakness. On her way back to her room she found the Countess Gemini standing in the open doorway of a little parlour, in which a small collection of heterogeneous books had been arranged. The Countess had an open volume in her hand. She appeared to have been glancing down a page which failed to strike her as interesting. At the sound of Isabel's step she raised her head. "'Ah, my dear,' she said, "'you, who are so literary, do tell me some amusing book to read. Everything here is of a dreariness. Do you think this would do me any good?' Isabel glanced at the title of the volume she held out, but without reading or understanding it. "'I'm afraid I can't advise you. I've had bad news. My cousin, Ralph Touchett, is dying.' The Countess threw down her book. "'Oh, he was so simpatico. I'm awfully sorry for you.' "'You would be sorrier still if you knew.' "'What is there to know? You look very badly,' the Countess added. "'You must have been with Osmond.' Half an hour before Isabel would have listened very coldly to an intimation that she should ever feel a desire for the sympathy of her sister-in-law, and there could be no better proof of her present embarrassment than the fact that she almost clutched at this lady's fluttering attention. "'I've been with Osmond,' she said, while the Countess's bright eyes glittered at her. "'I'm sure, then, he has been odious,' the Countess cried. "'Did he say he was glad poor Mr. Touchett's dying?' "'He said it's impossible I should go to England.' The Countess's mind, when her interests were concerned, was agile. She already foresaw the extinction of any further brightness in her visit to Rome. Ralph Touchett would die, Isabel would go into mourning, and then there would be no more dinner-parties. Such a prospect produced for a moment in her countenance an expressive grimace. But this rapid, picturesque play of feature was her only tribute to disappointment. After all, she reflected, the game was almost played out. She had already overstayed her invitation and then she cared enough for Isabel's trouble to forget her own, and she saw that Isabel's trouble was deep. It seemed deeper than the mere death of a cousin, and the Countess had no hesitation in connecting her exasperating brother with the expression of her sister-in-law's eyes. Her heart beat with an almost joyous expectation, for if she had wished to see Osmond overtopped, the conditions looked favourable now. Of course, if Isabel should go to England, she herself would immediately leave Palazzo Rocanera. Nothing would induce her to remain there with Osmond. Nevertheless, she felt an immense desire to hear that Isabel would go to England. "'Nothing's impossible for you, my dear,' she said caressingly. "'Why else are you rich and clever and good?' "'Why, indeed. I feel stupidly weak.' "'Why does Osmond say it's impossible?' the Countess asked in a tone which sufficiently declared that she couldn't imagine. From the moment she thus began to question her, however, Isabel drew back. She disengaged her hand, which the Countess had affectionately taken. But she answered this inquiry with frank bitterness. "'Because we're so happy together that we can't separate even for a fortnight.' "'Ah!' cried the Countess, while Isabel turned away. "'When I want to make a journey, my husband simply tells me I can have no money.' Isabel went to her room, where she walked up and down for an hour. It may appear to some readers that she gave herself much trouble, and it is certain that for a woman of high spirit she had allowed herself easily to be arrested. 
it seemed to her that only now she fully measured the great undertaking of matrimony marriage meant that in such a case as this when one had to choose one chose as a matter of course for one's husband i'm afraid yes i'm afraid she said to herself more than once stopping short in her walk but what she was afraid of was not her husband his displeasure his hatred his revenge it was not even her own later judgment of her conduct a consideration which had often held her in check it was simply the violence there would be in going when osmond wished her to remain a gulf of difference had opened between them but nevertheless it was his desire that she should stay it was a horror to him that she should go she knew the nervous fineness with which he could feel an objection what he thought of her she knew what he was capable of saying to her she had felt yet they were married for all that and marriage meant that a woman should cleave to the man with whom uttering tremendous vows she had stood at the altar she sank down on her sofa at last and buried her head in a pile of cushions when she raised her head again the countess gemini hovered before her she had come in all unperceived she had a strange smile on her thin lips and her whole face had grown in an hour a shining intimation she lived assuredly it might be said at the window of her spirit but now she was leaning far out i knocked she began but you didn't answer me so i ventured in i've been looking at you for the past five minutes you're very unhappy yes but i don't think you can comfort me will you give me leave to try and the countess sat down on the sofa beside her she continued to smile and there was something communicative and exultant in her expression she appeared to have a deal to say and it occurred to isabel for the first time that her sister-in-law might say something really human she made play with her glittering eyes in which there was an unpleasant fascination after all she soon resumed i must tell you to begin with that i don't understand your state of mind you seem to have so many scruples so many reasons so many ties when i discovered ten years ago that my husband's dearest wish was to make me miserable of late he has simply let me alone ah it was a wonderful simplification my poor isabel you're not simple enough no i'm not simple enough said isabel there's something i want you to know the countess declared because i think you ought to know it perhaps you do perhaps you've guessed it but if you have all i can say is that i understand still less why you shouldn't do as you like what do you wish me to know isabel felt a foreboding that made her heart beat faster the countess was about to justify herself and this alone was portentous but she was nevertheless disposed to play a little with her subject in your place i should have guessed it ages ago have you never really suspected i've guessed nothing what should i have suspected i don't know what you mean that's because you've such a beastly pure mind i never saw a woman with such a pure mind cried the countess isabel slowly got up you're going to tell me something horrible you can call it by whatever name you will and the countess rose also while her gathered perversity grew vivid and dreadful she stood a moment in a sort of glare of intention and as it seemed to isabel even then of ugliness after which she said my first sister-in-law had no children isabel stared back at her the announcement was an anticlimax your first sister-in-law 
i suppose you know at least if one may mention it that osmond has been married before i've never spoken to you of his wife i thought it mightn't be decent or respectful but others less particular must have done so the poor little woman lived hardly three years and died childless it wasn't till after her death that pansy arrived isabel's brow had contracted to a frown her lips were parted in pale vague wonder she was trying to follow there seemed so much more to follow than she could see pansy's not my husband's child then your husband's in perfection but no one else's husband's someone else's wife's oh my good isabel cried the countess with you one must dot one's eyes i don't understand whose wife's isabel asked the wife of a horrid little swiss who died how long a dozen more than fifteen years ago he never recognized miss pansy nor knowing what he was about would have anything to say to her and there was no reason why he should osmond did and that was better though he had to fit on afterwards the whole rigmarole of his own wife's having died in childbirth and of his having in grief and horror banished the little girl from his sight for as long as possible before taking her home from nurse his wife had really died you know of quite another matter and in quite another place in the piedmontese mountains where they had gone one august because her health appeared to require the air but where she was suddenly taken worse fatally ill the story passed sufficiently it was covered by the appearances so long as nobody heeded as nobody cared to look into it but of course i knew without researches the countess lucidly proceeded as also you'll understand without a word said between us i mean between osmond and me don't you see him looking at me in silence that way to settle it that is to settle me if i should say anything i said nothing right or left never a word to a creature if you can believe that of me on my honour my dear i speak of the thing to you now after all this time as i've never never spoken it was to be enough for me from the first that the child was my niece from the moment she was my brother's daughter as for her veritable mother but with this pansy's wonderful aunt dropped as involuntarily from the impression of her sister-in-law's face out of which more eyes might have seemed to look at her than she had ever had to meet she had spoken no name yet isabel could but check on her own lips an echo of the unspoken she sank to her seat again hanging her head why have you told me this she asked in a voice the countess hardly recognized because i've been so bored with your not knowing i've been bored frankly my dear with not having told you as if stupidly all this time i couldn't have managed some at the pass if you don't mind my saying so the things all round you that you've appeared to succeed in not knowing it's a sort of assistance aid to innocent ignorance that i've always been a bad hand at rendering and in this connection that of keeping quiet for my brother my virtue had at any rate finally found itself exhausted it's not a black lie moreover you know the countess inimitably added the facts are exactly what i tell you i had no idea said isabel presently and looked up at her in a manner that doubtless matched the apparent witlessness of this confession so i believed though it was hard to believe had it never occurred to you that he was six or seven years her lover i don't know things have occurred to me and perhaps that was what they all meant she has been wonderfully clever she has been magnificent about pansy the countess before all this view of it cried 
oh no idea for me isabel went on ever definitely took that form she appeared to be making out to herself what had been and what hadn't and as it is i don't understand she spoke as one troubled and puzzled yet the poor countess seemed to have seen her revelation fall below its possibilities of effect she had expected to kindle some responsive blaze but had barely extracted a spark isabel showed as scarce more impressed than she might have been as a young woman of approved imagination with some fine sinister passage of public history don't you recognize how the child could never pass for her husband's that is with monsieur merle himself her companion resumed they had been separated too long for that and he had gone to some far country i think to south america if she had ever had children which i'm not sure of she had lost them the conditions happened to make it workable under stress i mean at so awkward a pinch that osmond should acknowledge the little girl his wife was dead very true but she had not been dead too long to put a certain accommodation of dates out of the question from the moment i mean that suspicion wasn't started which was what they had to take care of what was more natural than that poor mrs osmond at a distance and for a world not troubling about trifles should have left behind her poverina the pledge of her brief happiness that had cost her her life with the aid of a change of residence osmond had been living with her at naples at the time of their stay in the alps and he in due course left it for ever the whole history was successfully set going my poor sister-in-law in her grave couldn't help herself and the real mother to save her skin renounced all visible property in the child oh poor poor woman cried isabel who herewith burst into tears it was a long time since she had shed any she had suffered a high reaction from weeping but now they flowed with an abundance in which the countess gemini found only another discomfiture it's very kind of you to pity her she discordantly laughed yes indeed you have a way of your own he must have been false to his wife and so very soon said isabel with a sudden check that's all that's wanting that you should take up her cause the countess went on i quite agree with you however that it was much too soon but to me to me and isabel hesitated as if she had not heard as if her question though it was sufficiently there in her eyes were all for herself to you he has been faithful well it depends my dear on what you call faithful when he married you he was no longer the lover of another woman such a lover as he had been cara mia between their risks and their precautions while the thing lasted that state of affairs had passed away the lady had repented or at all events for reasons of her own drawn back she had always had to a worship of appearances so intense that even osmond himself had got bored with it you may therefore imagine what it was when he couldn't patch it on conveniently to any of those he goes in for but the whole past was between them yes isabel mechanically echoed the whole past is between them ah oh, this later past is nothing but for six or seven years as i say they had kept it up she was silent a little why then did she want him to marry me ah oh, my dear that's her superiority because you had money and because she believed you would be good to pansy poor woman and pansy who doesn't like her cried isabel that's the reason she wanted someone whom pansy would like she knows it she knows everything will she know that you've told me this 
that will depend upon whether you tell her she's prepared for it and do you know what she counts upon for her defence on your believing that i lie perhaps you do don't make yourself uncomfortable to hide it only as it happens this time i don't i've told plenty of little idiotic fibs but they never hurt any one but myself isabel sat staring at her companion's story as at a bale of fantastic wares some strolling gypsy might have unpacked on the carpet at her feet why did osmond never marry her she finally asked because she has no money the countess had an answer for everything and if she lied she lied well no one knows no one has ever known what she lives on or how she has got all these beautiful things i don't believe osmond himself knows besides she wouldn't have married him how can she have loved him then she doesn't love him in that way she did at first and then i suppose she would have married him but at that time her husband was living by the time monsieur merle had rejoined i won't say his ancestors because he never had any her relations with osmond had changed and she had grown more ambitious besides she has never had about him the countess went on leaving isabel to wince for it so tragically afterwards she had never had what you might call any illusions of intelligence she hoped she might marry a great man that has always been her idea she has waited and watched and plotted and prayed but she has never succeeded i don't call madame merle a success you know i don't know what she may accomplish yet but at present she has very little to show the only tangible result she has ever achieved except of course getting to know every one and staying with them free of expense has been her bringing you and osmond together oh she did that my dear you needn't look as if you doubted it i've watched them for years i know everything everything i'm thought a great scatterbrain but i've had enough application of mind to follow up those two she hates me and her way of showing it is to pretend to be for ever defending me when people say i've had fifteen lovers she looks horrified and declares that quite half of them were never proved she has been afraid of me for years and she has taken great comfort in the vile false things people have said about me she has been afraid i'd expose her and she threatened me one day when osmond began to pay his court to you it was at his house in florence do you remember the afternoon she brought you there and we had tea in the garden she let me know then that if i should tell tales two could play at that game she pretends there's a good deal more to tell about me than about her it would be an interesting comparison i don't care a fig what she may say simply because i know you don't care a fig you can't trouble your head about me less than you do already so she may take her revenge as she chooses i don't think she'll frighten you very much her great idea has been to be tremendously irreproachable a kind of full-blown lily the incarnation of propriety she has always worshipped that god there should be no scandal about caesar's wife you know and as i say she has always hoped to marry caesar that was one reason she wouldn't marry osmond the fear that on seeing her with pansy people would put things together would even see a resemblance she has had a terror lest the mother should betray herself she has been awfully careful the mother has never done so yes yes the mother has done so said isabel who had listened to all this with a face more and more wan she betrayed herself to me the other day though i didn't recognize her there appeared to have been a chance of pansy's making a great marriage and in her disappointment at its not coming off she almost dropped the mask ah that's where she'd dish herself 
cried the countess she has failed so dreadfully that she's determined her daughter shall make it up isabel started at the words her daughter which her guest threw off so familiarly it seems very wonderful she murmured and in this bewildering impression she had almost lost her sense of being personally touched by the story now don't go and turn against the poor innocent child the countess went on she's very nice in spite of her deplorable origin i myself have liked pansy not naturally because she was hers but because she had become yours yes she has become mine and how the poor woman must have suffered at seeing me isabel exclaimed while she flushed at the thought i don't believe she has suffered on the contrary she is enjoyed osmond's marriage has given his daughter a great little lift before that she lived in a hole and do you know what the mother thought that you might take such a fancy to the child that you do something for her osmond of course could never give her a portion osmond was really extremely poor but of course you know all about that ah oh, my dear cried the countess why did you ever inherit money she stopped a moment as if she saw something singular in isabel's face don't tell me now that you'll give her a dough you're capable of that but i would refuse to believe it don't try to be too good be a little easy and natural and nasty feel a little wicked for the comfort of it once in your life it's very strange i suppose i ought to know but i'm sorry isabel said i'm much obliged to you yes you seem to be cried the countess with a mocking laugh perhaps you are perhaps you're not you don't take it as i should have thought how should i take it isabel asked well i should say as a woman who has been made use of isabel made no answer to this she only listened and the countess went on they've always been bound to each other they remained so even after she broke off or he did but he has always been more for her than she has been for him when their little carnival was over they made a bargain that each should give the other complete liberty but that each should also do everything possible to help the other on you may ask me how i know such a thing as that i know it by the way they've behaved now see how much better women are than men she has found a wife for osmond but osmond has never lifted a little finger for her she has worked for him plotted for him suffered for him she has even more than once found money for him and the end of it is that he's tired of her she's an old habit there are moments when he needs her but on the whole he wouldn't miss her if she were removed and what's more today she knows it and so you needn't be jealous the countess added humorously isabel rose from her sofa again she felt bruised and scant of breath her head was humming with new knowledge i'm much obliged to you she repeated and then she added abruptly in quite a different tone how do you know all this this inquiry appeared to ruffle the countess more than isabel's expression of gratitude pleased her she gave her companion a bold stare with which let us assume that i've invented it she cried she too however suddenly changed her tone and laying her hand on isabel's arm said with the penetration of her sharp bright smile now will you give up your journey isabel started a little she turned away but she felt weak and in a moment had to lay her arm upon the mantel-shelf for support she stood a minute so and then upon her arm she dropped her dizzy head with closed eyes 
and pale lips. "'I've done wrong to speak. I've made you ill,' the Countess cried. "'Ah! Oh, I must see Ralph!' Isabel wailed, not in resentment, not in the quick passion her companion had looked for, but in a tone of far-reaching, infinite sadness. End of chapter 51